Hi. Before you listen to this week's episode, I just want to make you aware of a small survey that I'm running through September. The Attitudes to Custom Software Development Survey is aimed at UK executives to get an understanding of just how well custom software is suiting business needs in 2020. Is it providing ROI? Is it keeping pace with the business? Are there problems such as recruitment or retention of staff? I'd really appreciate if you can take the time to complete the short survey. There'll be a link in the show notes as well as a link on my homepage at red-folder.com. Thank you very much. Enjoy the episode. Welcome to the Better ROI from Software Development Podcast. A podcast aimed at those that fund software development and those that work with them. In a series of short weekly podcasts, I, your host Mark Taylor, hope to educate and inform on why traditional management processes won't get you the best return on your investment. And along the way, I'll provide advice on how to improve that. Hello and welcome. In this episode, I want to continue talking about professionalism within software development. And I'll continue talking about it through the lens of The Programmer's Oath by Uncle Bob Martin. In episode 51, I introduced The Programmer's Oath by Uncle Bob. And in the last couple of episodes, I picked up the first two oaths and talked about them. In this episode, I want to pick up on the third oath. I promise that, to the best of my ability and judgment, I'll produce with each release a quick, sure and repeatable proof that every element of the code works as it should. What we're talking about here is quality. It's making sure that the work that we do as software developers is being done to a significant level of quality, that the systems work as we would expect them to, and that both the customer, the end customer, and the organization and the team are getting most value out of the work that we're doing. Now, personally, I think that's a reasonable expectation, especially from the organization's point of view. If the organization are paying for that software development to be done, which is going to be expensive, they can, they can reasonably expect it to work. They can reasonably expect to be having a level of confidence that they're putting money into a premium product, they're spending good money, and to expect a level of quality. Now, I'd actually question as to whether that normally happens within software development. Software development traditionally has been very much siloed. So software developers will build the system, but their job isn't quality. That's for someone else to do. That's for the tester. That's for the quality assurance department, maybe even the business, to validate what they've done is correct. Now think about that in any other line of business. You're paying someone to a premium price to produce what should be a premium product. So shouldn't you expect a level of quality to go with that? So for me, proofs make sense. Having some ability to prove that what's been done works, and more importantly, continues to work. So not just the change I've made today, 
the change I've made this week, but also any functionality that existed within the system before I touched it. We want to make sure that I haven't introduced some form of regression, some problem into an existing part of the system, as well as making sure that the work that I've done now works as as expected. In episode 14, I introduced a number of testing types. I talked about manual, where somebody will sit in front of the software and manually test it. I talked about unit testing, which is a development type test, which is automated and can test levels of the code at a very small level. I talked about integration testing, which again is largely a development test, which is made, which is done to make sure the individual components of the system work together well. I also talked about acceptance testing, which is that business test where they're going, does it actually meet what we wanted to do? And there are actually other types of tests out there. And it isn't necessary that this proof has to be any one of these tests. It could be a combination of all of them or something entirely different, as long as there is a proof. While I personally prefer to use a lot of automated tests, because that way you're gaining the value every time that you use it, an automated test, you can start it running and leave it. You can run it repeatedly over and over again, and you can get so much more proficiency and productivity out of automated tests than you can manual, then you can be confident you can run it repeatedly and make sure you're not incurring problems. But automation aside, that doesn't stop us from using some form of manual proof to make sure the system works. And I think this depends on the system that you're operating. The complexity of the system and size of the system almost certainly will come into that equation. If it's a big, complicated system, then I'd certainly expect a number of tests across all of those different types. So certainly unit testing, certainly integration, certainly acceptance, certainly manual. If, however, it's a really small system, maybe some small utility, maybe it can be tested by a five-minute manual test. So why wouldn't this be happening as a day-to-day activity anyway? And that's a good question. As I've said, I actually believe you're paying for a premium product. You're spending large sums of money on expensive people. Developers are not cheap. So you'd expect there to be a level of quality. The problem is I think we've got quite a history of people looking at developers as that expensive resource and looking to utilise them on a cost versus time basis. That developer needs to be assigned to the most valuable thing and constantly working on the most valuable thing we can think about. We're actually looking at actually trying to utilize their time more than necessarily the value. So we're allocating them out and trying to get as much as we of, out of their time as we can. As such, certain things like testing suddenly becomes seen as less valuable. Oh, we don't want to spend time with the developer doing any form of testing. We push that to someone else that can do the testing. We can push that to a cheaper resource. Now, for me, that is an entirely wrong way of looking at it. And I've talked before about how expensive a problem can be the further it gets away from the developer before it's identified. If a developer finds a problem while they're in the middle of the development, they can fix it there and then. Yes, they're taking time to fix it, but it's in their head. They know where they are. They know what's happening. They can fix it relatively efficiently and very cheaply. If, however, the process is one where the developer does their work, 
and they pass it off to another team. A team that doesn't look at it or validate it for maybe another two, three weeks. By the time that team has actually found the bug, have found the problem, and God forbid it's made it into production, by the time they found that bug, you go back to the original developer, they cannot remember what they were doing to produce that bug in the first place. They're suddenly in a position where they're actually having to spend a lot of time to try and remember what it was they were doing when they actually produced the problem. Or it may even be someone different. Someone who has no actual knowledge or understanding of what the change was. So they're having to spend a lot of time picking that up. And of course, if it's made its way into production, you're also then incurring any costs of that boxing bird within uh, production for your customers. So I actually think it's the wrong thing to do, to think about developer cost when it comes to testing. I actually think they should be doing a lot of these proofs. But as I say, a lot of people have thought that's the wrong thing to do. I've even heard stories of software developers being disciplined through HR procedures for introducing unit tests. Think about that for a second. A software developer has done what they believe is the most professional thing they can do. At the time, they've added unit tests to software they have written. Now, the HR department think that's worthless. Why are we doing that? That isn't their job. Testing is done by this QA team. But the software developer knows that if they can put the unit tests in, that's a much more efficient way. I'm not saying you still wouldn't put it through a QA department, but you're improving the quality of the software. But they're still brought up in front of that HR department and disciplined because it's not their job and they're wasting time. They are wasting company resources and money, which effectively is their time they're being paid, thus they shouldn't be doing that work. As I say, this for me is farcical. There's a clear basis of evidence that putting time and money for the developer into those unit tests, into that acceptance test, into integration tests, anything that has a level of test that can be automated has significant payback. Has significant payback in both the quality of the product as well as then the continued repeatability of testing for that product further down the line. It's interesting because it almost speaks back to that gold plating I talked about in episode 52. And this is one of those areas where I have seen pushback, as demonstrated by that HR uh, disciplinary, where the business don't feel that the work is required, that they think developers are going too far. They're gold plating the process. They're doing work that isn't actually required for what they're paying for. And as I say, that's unfortunately wrong. It's not a gold plating exercise. It's delivering a level of quality. It's making sure that you can prove that the software you have written works and, as I say, continues to work. So yes, there is upfront cost in producing it. Yes, there is upfront cost in actually building those tests. But in the long term, there is return on investment. But of course, this comes back down to choice again. And we're back to that technical debt argument. As a business, you may choose, no, don't do the testing. Let's just get the feature done. Are you accepting that if you're doing that, you are actually taking a debt for a longer term? You're taking software that is going to be poorer quality, have more bugs, be more difficult to maintain, be more expensive to operate in the longer term to win that short term win. 
Now, occasionally that can be the correct thing to do. It could be that you've got a major deadline that you have to hit. It's some make or break trade show. Maybe if you don't hit that, then the business ceases to exist. Most of the time, that isn't true. Most of the time, dates put in place are arbitrary. And there's somebody at some level above that goes, I want it by X date. And that's where professionalism should be pushing back and saying no. And this is why we want to be able to make sure it's a quality product. We want to make sure that we can prove that it works as appropriate. And we want to make sure that it is correct. It is true that it's never going to be possible to provide full proof. There is actually the term known as full mathematical proof, but very rarely is that ever going to be even possible within software development. There's just simply too many variables. So while you should be doing all of this to try and prove as best as you can that the software is working as it should be, it obviously is never still going to be 100% which is why I've talked previously about monitoring and logging for production systems to identify any issues that then do make it in, because they will. But your key here is trying to make sure as much as possible you've got as much of that quality found early. So any bugs, any faults, any issues are found much earlier in the life cycle and thus are much cheaper, much more effective and much more productive to resolve. And again, that one's then going to come back to the best of my ability and judgment. It's that balancing act of what your judgment is telling you is the right way to invest time, effort and money at any given point in time. In the next episode, I'm going to take a look at the next oath. I'm going to take a look at, I promise that to the best of my ability and judgment, I will make frequent, small releases so that I do not impede the progress of others. Thank you for listening and I'll speak to you again next week. This podcast has been hosted by me, Mark Taylor. It has been produced by Red Folder Consultancy Limited, a consultancy that can help you achieve better return on your software development investment. You can contact them or sign up to the mailing list at red-folder.com. Or you can reach out to me on Twitter at redfoldermark. If you're getting value from this series, please tell a friend and help me grow my audience. Thank you again for listening to this episode. I just want to remind you again about that short survey that I'm running during September about attitudes towards custom software development. Again, the link can be found in the show notes or on my homepage at red-folder.com. Thank you.